What is up? What is going on, everybody? This week, we are turning the clocks back. We are getting a very, very young Matthew McConaughey, Sandra Bullock, a bit younger Samuel L. Jackson. We've got a star-studded cast, and we're going to get into it on the other side of the song. Welcome back, everyone, to another new episode of The Threequel. As always, I am one of your three co-hosts, Ethan Klein. Here with me, Brad Miller. Mike Duranik will be joining us here in a little bit. He definitely should be on this episode. We are not entirely sure when. Uh, so, Brad, I will just simply ask you, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. It was uh, interesting to listen to your cold open. Usually you have a, uh, a witty remark or, you know, some sort of... Uh, you know parallel meaning to the movie but you just listed the actor so uh, a little bit different but outside of that i'm i'm doing fine it's well it's like i said it is tough when the subject matter is as serious as this movie is to to pull a joke sometimes and uh definitely something that stands out from this movie is the star-studded cast and how young some of these people look uh, compared to how we see them now. Um, so we might as well just get into it. We are doing a time to kill uh, from 1996. So uh, this movie, 26 years old this month. Uh, and Brad, I'll ask you, as I always do, what was your first interaction with a time to kill? Did you catch it in theaters in 96? Uh, did you see it later on TV? I know John Grisham movies get all kinds of run on television so it wouldn't shock me if that was your first uh interaction with it but but what was it and then what did you bring into this rewatch well uh i'm pretty sure i've seen this before but i really don't have a deep recollection of it um so maybe i have not seen the entire thing i'm not entirely sure but there were uh times watching this uh this time that it felt like the first time seeing it so uh i I really don't have any idea and there is a small percentage chance that this was my first time very interesting um for me uh my first interaction with it was a dvd you know go through walmart it's in a five dollar bin or whatever back I, i couldn't tell you how old i was i was in high school Um, At that time, I had read a couple other John Grisham books uh, at school just for like, you know, you you pick out a book and write a a book report on it or whatever. And I enjoyed a couple of his books. I don't really know why I didn't read this one, but I know I saw the movie before reading the book. Um, But it was just kind of going through with, oh, this is that John Grisham guy. I like that. and I like Matthew McConaughey. And for me at this time, when I saw this, this was prior to McConaughey as a dramatic actor. This is, you know, hey, I know my mom likes that guy's romantic comedies and, I, you know, I enjoy them for what they are. Was not expecting what this movie was, especially back in that, that mid-2000s era. But, you know, got it from Walmart, super cheap, watched it, and uh, was definitely not prepared for everything that it was, but it has stayed a staple of a movie that I really enjoy since then. Um, Mike is the reigning, you know, champion for the rotten tomatoes game. 
Uh, I guess, Brett, do we want to, do you and I just want to talk Rotten Tomatoes and then we'll put Mike on the spot when he hops on and see if he can cheat again? Yeah, let's, uh, let's do it. All right. So we, we won't play the game. We'll just hop into it and I'll ask you the question about whether or not Rotten Tomatoes is correct. Um, I guess I, I can, I guess I can kind of put you on the spot too. If you had to guess, Brad, where, where do you think this thing is sitting on Rotten Tomatoes? Oh gosh. Um, so obviously the, the we, you've mentioned the cast um that's got to be a selling point there really aren't any weak spots um i guess before i answer give me a little context is this a rotten tomato score uh you know from you know 2005 2010 2021 when do they get the total for this when did they ask people about their thoughts on this film so i mean I think it, it, it's amalgamation of original critiques. Now, obviously, Rotten Tomatoes didn't exist in 96, but I don't think it, it... Whenever Rotten Tomatoes came about, they went back and pulled reviews from the original run of the movie. So, sure, a critic could watch this for the first time and add something to it today, but the consensus of it, I believe, is a general pulse of the time that it came out okay so i'm glad i have that context because it's going to skew my score a little higher i believe than it would have if this were uh you know thoughts from people today about a movie that's 26 years old so i'm going to go with a with an 88 um i feel like you know it's a good movie it's a good cast and it's the type of film that and i was thinking this while i was watching it you have to really work hard to screw something like this up. Um, so uh, with the, you know, the touchy subject matter, I think it probably pulled some people in as well. So I'm, I'm going to go with an 88. Big uh, discrepancy here. We've had a run of these. Um, the audience is an 85. So the audience is where you were thinking a score would be at. The critic score for this is actually a 67. Um, wow a the critics consensus thing i mean it, it says you know top-notch performances you know skill craftsmanship all stuff but it just has a little note about being overlong and superficial um that seems like a pretty drastic dip for just those two little remarks but let, let's have the conversation brad is rotten tomatoes right so it's sitting at a 67 percent, which is still fresh anything 60 and above is fresh so um you know a, a good majority of critics still say like yeah go check this movie out it's good but, you know, in comparison to a lot of dramatic work that we've talked about on the show, quite a dip down from where you were sitting at in the mid 80s there. So so what is your opinion of A Time to Kill? Is Rotten Tomatoes correct? Uh, what was their reasoning again? It was uh, overlong superficial? and superficial is what the negative side of that. What was the runtime of the film? It's two and a half. It's a, it's a solid two and a half. Okay, because I don't I don't remember when I was watching it thinking like, okay, this is this is too long. Um, I guess now that you mention it, yeah, I, I do remember uh, trying to squeeze it in before bedtime and having to go to bed a little bit later than before. But um, so yeah, I guess I guess it is a little long, but uh, I don't quite understand what they mean by superficial. Um, you know, it touched on a lot of difficult subjects. Um, some of them rather graphic and, you know, even started to show some of what happened 
Um, so I don't know exactly what their definition of superficial is there, but, uh, no, I, I don't think they're right. I think it's better than a 67. I feel like there's been, uh, other movies that I would consider much worse, um, that have gotten higher scores. So if they had come in at say, you know, somewhere between 75 and 80, um, I, I could see where, uh, I could agree with that number, but I think 67 is way too low. Yeah, I completely agree. I think over long, I mean, so it's tough when you're doing something based off a novel, you know, you always run into what do you leave in? What do you cut out? I will admit since the first time I saw this movie, I've never rewatched the first, uh, however long that is 10 minutes of it. I don't need to see that again. It's upsetting, which is the point, but it upset me the first time I saw it. And that's kind of, you know, burned in the back of my mind i hate these guys i understand the point i don't need to watch that again but that 10 minutes doesn't make this movie too long for me i really appreciate that while it is a courtroom drama we get all that stuff you don't really start and mike duranic has joined the podcast hello gentlemen good to be here with you sorry for the late arrival Oh, no, no problem. Uh, we were just uh, talking about Rotten Tomatoes. So we'll get I'll finish this thought and we'll get back uh, to you with that. So I don't I never thought that this movie was too long. I, I did check this time because I was curious. It's like an hour 10 hour 15 before the actual trial starts, which maybe for some could be a little too long to get into it. But for me, that gives me a lot of time to get to know McConaughey's character, Sandra Bullock's character more about Samuel Jackson, what he's going through. I like that we got to know all of them. And to me, it had a greater impact once we started the trial uh, was how I felt about that. Mike, uh, the, the fans cannot see that you have sent in your Rotten Tomatoes guess. Uh, is that an official guess? That's it. I decided that uh, as I was rushing to log in, I would just throw it completely in the blind there, right up there. Uh, you guys get it, uh, and so my my Rotten Tomatoes pick is seventy. Brad, do you believe for a second that that was thrown in blind and that he had no idea what this score was sitting at? So I I think I realized today that I I believe Mike when he says he doesn't cheat, but what he has not mentioned is is his wife cheating for him, <laughs> and I think that Jenny may have looked up some of these numbers and. Uh, maybe whispering them to him while he's sleeping or something. I, I don't know, but uh, it's that's lower than I would have thought that he would have guessed and also closer to winning the, the thing. So, yes, I'm going to continue with the idea that Mike is cheating at Rotten Tomatoes. Well, Mike, we'll, we'll give you the win because I don't think there's any way Brad would have gone below you with that guess that you started with. The score is a 67 um that feels uh, that feels criminally low okay good i'm glad you said that um we we both said that it was wrong so uh i guess you can kind of give a little bit of both here since you're a little late was this your first time seeing it i couldn't remember brad uh said that he didn't think it was but then he thought it might be um so have you seen this before and then just the, the question that we ask is rotten tomatoes correct at a 67 so not my first time seeing it. Uh, it's been a little while since I had seen it, but I think this is probably my third or fourth time watching it. Um, I'm a big John Grisham fan. I have read almost all of his books and I own almost all of them. Uh, and this is, of course, one of his oldest and, and most well-known books and one of the most successful film adaptations. Um, 
so coming into it, I, I knew I liked the movie. Um, I had fond memories of uh, McConaughey and Jackson's characters in it. And uh, I completely had forgotten that Kevin Spacey was in it. And so that was slightly disappointing. But uh, as far as the Rotten Tomatoes score and uh, where it's at, I went with a 70 because I don't remember any of the Grisham adaptations being well-received. Um, they Some of them did well in the box office comparatively, but none of them were well-received. So I went lower because of that. Um, that said... I think that they're wrong on this. This is a solid middle tier movie. I would probably put it at an 82, 83 if, if it was up to me. Yeah. So I, it, it seems like we're all in agreement then of that. They are wrong. And I, I, I would have it in that mid eighties as well. I think I can't think of a courtroom drama that I enjoy more, Brad. I know you and I both have an appreciation for the judge, a big appreciation for the judge, but that movie it's less about the court. There's a lot of courtroom stuff in it, but it's so much less about that. And so much more about what's going on in that family. This is truly, how are we going to get in a courtroom and argue this, win this? And obviously there's stuff going on outside of it, but um, I I feel like this is more true to the genre itself. Um, Well, it's no, my cousin Vinny, but uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. that, that is fair. And um, you know the the two the two Utes that that are in my cousin Vinny, like uh, yeah, I, I think that that would take the the court um, the court scenes to the next level. But um, speaking of court scenes, what about those cringy moments listening to Kevin Spacey rail some guy in the in the seat for uh, and using the word rape like that was. Uh, that was a cringeworthy moment that did, did not age well for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's another, you know, example of great casting. Uh, he's, he's slimy. He's gross. You don't like him regardless of uh, his personal stuff. Uh, and I'm glad that I mean, the, the real, usually we say like great casting, you know, going back 26 years, what a joke that Sandra Bullock gets to land on him. I mean, throwing that into his real personal life and all the nastiness that he is, uh, that joke hit even harder. And uh, I got a good kick out of that. There actually is for this movie. It is it is so dead serious. I think I really appreciate the humor that does pop up this time. I've always enjoyed Oliver Platt when he's in stuff, but this time even more. Oliver Platt was like uh, like a sleeper candidate for MVP for me. Because you need those moments of levity. You need to be able to laugh at some things here and there uh, in a movie that's just so serious. Um, I don't know if you guys appreciated that too, but he he was so huge this time for me watching this and how much I appreciate it. What uh, what was the Sandra Bullock joke about landing on him, or what what was that in reference to? I didn't I didn't catch what you were meaning by that. He he makes a comment to her about like, well, if you know he doesn't have that much money so i bet he's paying you somehow and as he walks by she just says hey how's that impetus thing treating you oh yeah 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 okay and just just says it and moves on is like oh good f that guy <laughs> oh kevin spacey yeah he was in uh he was surprisingly in a lot of things that we watched in our past and you know he keeps making these reappearances because we're re, re- rewatching them and i yeah i would i 
have no idea without going back through his IMDb how many more we're going to stumble into. But uh, it's never uh, never a fun time when we're uh, bringing him up. But how about for you guys? Any any just I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more about McConaughey and Bullock, but and even Samuel Jackson. But any any standouts for you guys that really helped carry this movie? Because it, I mean, it is a star-studded cast, top to bottom. Yeah, I mean, uh, Home Alone, Bird Lady was, uh, you know, she did well in this one, uh, uh, and then uh, Charles Dutton, I think, did did great as this as the sheriff. Um, he's always, uh, I think, he acts at a slower pace than most, um, and his movements are in in thoughts are methodical, um, and I appreciate that about him. He just stands out a little bit in that way, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think top to bottom, this may be the, the most talented cast from top to bottom that we've had in a movie. I don't know if there's others that stand out, but uh, I'll get Mike's take on individuals and then maybe discuss uh, the overall quality. Um, of the yeah, cast. I mean, for for an earlier McConaughey movie in the grand scheme of, of what we've talked about, uh, really a a standout performance I thought by him that shows why he became what he has become over the ensuing couple of decades. Uh, as we've mentioned before in other movies, I'm, I'm always kind of a, a Donald Sutherland fan, even though it seems, and here's once again, a kind of a point that he's been that age forever. Um, and I thought it was kind of, uh, you know, funny. I had forgotten that Kiefer was in this as well until sort of watching it. It's like, oh, hey, look, there's uh, there's both of the Sutherlands right there for us to to watch. Um, you know, and the, the other one, a uh, little, uh, littler role that jumped out, Chris Cooper, who I also tend to enjoy in a lot of movies. So it is a very deep cast. Um, and I agree with you right off the top of my head. I can't think of another ensemble cast that has as much star power at the top and then as much depth through it. Yeah, I can't either. I know just something that clicked for me. I know that we said top to bottom, uh, the best ensemble performances. I remember us really lauding prisoners, but that was just a collection of people on screen that top to bottom did a really great job. Even that still didn't have the name power uh, that this does all the way through. I mean, yeah, even like you said, Kiefer popping up in it, Ashley Judd at this time, I mean, I'm not a diehard Ashley Judd fan, but she she had a pretty good run in the 90s, especially the late 90s. And they even managed to throw her in there as well. Um, I mean, even even a guy like Kurtwood Smith making an appearance, you know, yep. like there's just people that pop up in this and you're like, oh, hey. And, and there's even some that I have no idea what their names are to mention them, but you just see them throughout the film. Maybe they were uh, uh a clan member or something, you know, that, that stood out and it's like, Oh yeah. Hey, I know that guy. Or, um, you know, I think just a lot of, uh, I, I don't know that they knew what they had, uh, at the time when they put all of these people in the same film. And, you know, how about poor Mr. Matthew McConaughey having to play love interest to both Ashley Judd and Sandra Bullock in the same movie, uh, that poor, poor man, I hope he was able to survive. Um, well, one more thought on that too. Like it in the last or over the last 10 years, you know, probably in the top 10, um, actors of the biggest films of the past 10 years. I mean, 
Samuel L. Jackson and Matthew McConaughey are probably top 10, if not top five of people in some of the biggest films over that time. Like, and to just, you know, stumble on like, a supporting role for Carl, uh, Carl Lee, you know, by Samuel L. Jackson. It's just, again, I think that just points back to not knowing what they had. And, and that's completely leaving out Sandra Bullock too. And how, how big of a movie star she has been over the past 25 years as well. Like, it's just, it's amazing what they, what they have here. Are you guys, cause you guys are both a bigger fan of Pulp Fiction than I am. And I know that Samuel L. Jackson got nominated for that. Would either of you be willing to walk with me down a road where I say that I think this is Samuel L. Jackson's best acting performance? Uh, you'd have to sell me on, on your thoughts on that because I would, I would not agree just off the top of my head. Yeah, I would, I would say I'm, I'm listening. So let, why don't you lay it out? Well, I just, so for me, Pulp Fiction is, it's a very, you know, it, it is much more an ensemble piece than this. You know, you're moving in and out of the stories and it, it's iconic and fantastic, right? The only parts of that movie I truly enjoy are the parts that him and John Travolta are in this Yes, he's a supporting actor to Matthew McConaughey, but he's in so much more of it. He the things he says in Pulp Fiction are kind of this larger than life and that's what makes it amazing. This just some of the lines he says just like break my heart time and again. The the final conversation that he has right before you know the the closing arguments about like that's why i picked you man i didn't pick you because you're my friend i picked you because you're the you're the bad guy like though just those kind of things the conversations they're having about money the sly little look on his face when he sets up the the naacp and the lawyers that they bring in like just the little stuff that he does and then some of those moments the i hope they burn in hell all that stuff like time and time again for two and a half hours he really really hits home versus 25 minutes of screen time in pulp fiction that that's why i would say this hmm i you know i'm going through his imdb there as you were as you were talking um obviously if if you say samuel L. jackson name a movie he's in the pulp fiction is going to come to mind right. i think it's a more iconic role. Um, I think that uh, um, you're probably right. I I started thinking about how I felt in some of those moments as as he was talking and, um, you know, some of the back and forth between him and McConaughey. Uh, And then looking here, you know, we, we, we did a pretty deep dive into his uh, acting in um, Django Unchained, um, which was also very good. Um, And I think underrated, uh, two movies that he's underrated in are um uh, oh gosh what is it uh, hitman's bodyguard and um his his role in the kingsman um i also found very entertaining but uh obviously not as as deep or as hard hitting as this so um yeah I, I don't know that you completely swayed me but uh you've got it at much more 50 50 than i would have guessed before uh before you talking about it what do you think mike well setting aside the fact that the obvious answer is mace windu for his best uh, acting performance in star wars um 
you know, I, I think you make a, a good argument. Um, clearly, Pulp Fiction is, I think, his most iconic role and probably the, the role he is best known for, although uh, in over 150 movies, and I think I, I read the highest grossing actor of all time, uh, when you exclude cameos and voiceover performances in terms of what his movies have grossed, uh, he's clearly been in a lot of things. Um, I enjoyed him uh, quite a bit in in Coach Carter for um, you know the role that he did there, uh, but I don't think that I would put that above this necessarily. Um, yeah, I think I think you make a compelling point that this may be pinnacle or close of his his acting. Um, and then yeah, Brad, you had mentioned. Um, you know, our discussion about him in Django Unchained and um, maybe that would be the counterpoint to this, but I do think that uh, he goes in some different directions here with the emotional depth uh, that obviously you don't see in, in that one. I mean, the, the scene where he holds up Eddie Murphy in Coming to America, um, I mean, that's probably his best acting scene where he's, he's trying to rob him at that McDonald's, but uh, outside of that, I think Ethan, you might you might have it with this one. Well, good. I'm 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 glad I could sway you guys. Pa- past Samuel Jackson, uh, this movie's you know led and driven by McConaughey and Sandra Bullock. It's crazy. I mean, Sandra Bullock, she's a superstar. You know, a lot of people wouldn't have cu- wouldn't have accused her of being the greatest actress in the world, and then all of a sudden, you know blindside came out she wins the award for that i'll watch this movie 10 times out of 10 before i'll rewatch the blindside it's not it just you know it it just is what it is um and then mcconaughey it's crazy you know i mean he, he made all his money doing his romantic comedies and things like that but when you take you know and we've talked about his career before so we don't need to like go through the whole entire thing again but you take this and we've done Interstellar, we've done Mud, Lincoln Lawyer, even Magic Mike, Dallas Buyers Club, all that stuff. I mean, Magic Mike, what? what? His performance, I, I, that movie, I've been forced to watch that movie before. I hate that movie. It's terrible. He is amazing in that. He is fantastic in that. Like, the dude is such a freaking good actor. And I didn't, you know, true detective, right? Like, he's a world world class actor and it's just crazy that it started in 96 way before people really gave him credit um this is right up there i don't know if i could even pick i know i always put you guys on the spot i can't even put myself on the spot i don't know how to rank his performances but this is right up there and i think it's awesome that it was so early in his career i don't know if you guys had any thoughts on either one of them or if brad just wants to give me shit over magic mike (laughs) well i I thought I, I my I got distracted for a second and I thought you were listing movies that we've done on the podcast. Oh. So I thought you were throwing Magic Mike in there just to screw with us. And I was like, wait, what? We haven't watched that. And um, yeah, I, I will probably give you crap for that because I will uh, I will probably go to my grave never having watched that. But uh, lucky you. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, as far as best performance, I mean, it's it's uh it's pretty high up there for sure. I'd have to give that some more thought before I uh, um, gave my official answer. But I, the one that just pops off strictly for performance of the ones that you mentioned were, uh, or is uh, true detective that, that first season of that with, with him and uh, 
uh, Woody Harrelson and um, who else is in that 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 really stood out? Um, oh God, I mean, so many. Um, Michelle, I mean, those two those two are the main the main yeah. ones, though, right? Like going yeah. off each other. Yeah, I, I just I think their their performance in that was was fantastic but uh dallas buyers club was was amazing as well but i'll I'll look through a little more as we get mike's thoughts on him yeah the you know one that i would throw out uh, that you didn't mention that i appreciated him in it was probably the first movie i ever saw him in honestly was contact um, okay yeah yeah and i enjoyed his his performance in that quite a bit um but i mean for me interstellar is where i go with him I think it's his best performance. I have not seen Dallas Buyers Club, so um, that may, uh, you know, factor in it at some point when I watch that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he's a really, really good, uh, really good actor. I mean, and again, a movie I had not seen before we started, um, you know, doing this podcast was Mud. He was really great in that, and so uh, I do enjoy him. And looking back at him here, and then looking at how little he had been in before this movie and realizing how big this movie was and launching him forward. Uh, it, it's, it's cool to see, but then also, I, again, I think as you see his performance here, you can see the bits and pieces of what he would become in those other movies. Well, and I mean, so much of it too does lean in on, like, we're going to start transitioning into favorite scene anyway. So if I'm ruining it for you guys, I'm sorry, but how he drives home that closing argument. This might've been the first movie. I mean, I'm sure I cried at some like cartoons or whatever when I was a little kid, but this might've been the first movie that actually really got emotional that I remember because that, that closing argument and still even, you know, to this day, this time I, I, it gets me just he, him just breaking down as he's saying it. And then I don't know if you guys remember the first time you saw it. Cause again, I, Mike, I'm assuming you'd read the book then before you saw the movie. And I don't, I don't know if it is the same word for word speech in the book, but you know, I wasn't prepared for how he was going to end that speech. I'm just listening and getting emotional as he's getting emotional. And then when he closes it with now, imagine she's white like that, the way he brings all that together and then just, throws that on at the end and how the how it affects everybody in there and you can see how he delivers it and like i said always gets me emotional and that just that what three minute monologue i mean that's as good as it gets that's that is world-class acting as high as it can be and I'm, I'm honestly shocked he didn't get a nomination i'd have to look who got nominated that year but even for just that scene alone there have been people nominated for worse yeah it uh you know I had read the book before the movie and I won't sit here and pretend to tell you that whether it's word for word from the book or not. Um, but I will tell you that uh, as you build in that book, that portion of the book is the most powerful uh, part of the book. And he delivered on what made the book pretty iconic um, because of the way that it leans into race relations and biases in our country. And particularly back when this is, um, you know, when this, when this is taking place, the other thing I'll say is what Grisham did there and what McConaughey brought to life on the screen is, uh, Jake Bergance is a, an iconic, uh, character. Uh, he is iconic in the book. They, a number of years back, just a couple years back within the last five years, I would say Grisham actually wrote a, not a sequel to this necessarily, but a new story where Bergance years in the future was 
the main character. And I was excited to get back into that because it is such a, an engaging character. And so what McConaughey did through the movie, but then also Ethan, as you pointed out in that particular dialogue uh, and in that, that closing argument, he delivered on the charisma and the passion um, that Grisham wrote for the character. And so it was very well done. Well, we can flip into a favorite scene here. Um, I I guess I will just for the sake of saying it uh, that year, he would have gone up again. Jeffrey Rush won for shine. Tom Cruise was nominated for Jerry Maguire. Ray Fiennes, English patient, Woody Harrelson, people versus Larry Fent, Billy Bob Thornton, sling blade. I would say that again, that speech alone, I, I would be okay with knocking off Woody Harrelson. Uh, for Larry Flint um, just on the speech alone. So I do think I, it is safe to say he got robbed. Um, but yeah, favorite scene, fellas, where, where are you going to go uh, for time to kill? I think my favorite scene was uh, um, when he enters the uh, jail cell right before the, the court hearing and, and Samuel L. Jackson's plea to him um, to um, realize that he's, you know, just as racist as everybody else. And he needs to, um, I guess he's encouraging to him to, to lean into that as he is, uh, as he's going to close this. And, um, it just, I, I think he had, you know, painted his life to that point of being, uh, um, and maybe not seeing color or being, uh, a, a man of all people. And it was neat to see how, how, um, Samuel L. Jackson pointed that out because um, I was kind of leaning the other way too. Like, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter this man's skin color. He's, you know, he lost his house for him. He, he's uh, might lose his life for him. You know, there's people taking shots at him and, and who knows what's going to happen to his family. My, his wife potentially could leave him, you know? So like he's doing all of this for him, at least it seems, but Samuel L. Jackson points out, you know, in some ways it's like, you're not doing this for me. You're not doing this because you see me as an equal. It was more probably career advancement and different things like that. So, uh, I was really compelled, um, deep into thought when, uh, when, uh, he gave that performance there in that scene. Yeah. That's the other scene I was going to mention, Brad and, and Ethan, I don't know if you've got anything different. I think that the two clear cut scenes are, that scene between you know um, McConaughey and, and Samuel L. Jackson, and then the the dialogue and the closing argument. So, do you have anything different, Ethan? No, that it, it's those, and it's pretty head and shoulders above everything else. Um, and I mean, Brad, you nailed it on the head. So, there's no reason to add anything to that, fellas. Were there any lines that stood out to you? Well, probably just when he was talking about you know how many snakes were on the plane um that one that one stood out because it didn't really jive with the other with the rest of the film i will tell you this this was very confusing to me and i don't know if you've ever come across this um before we get your guys's uh lines uh the dvd i i own this on dvd i probably found it at goodwill on dollar saturday or something and bought it because i i don't remember seeing it before but uh Anyways, I put the DVD in and it starts with uh, Home Alone Bird Lady's husband in the hospital. 
and it goes right into the the riot on the street where they're yelling free Kali, free Kali, and and you know there's people getting stabbed, and I'm like, what in the heck is going on? This movie just jumps right into it. I didn't realize this was the first DVD that I've ever played that has a side A and a side B, um, <laughs> very much like a, a record player. So like, I was kind of like. I don't even understand why these people are trying to kill each other or why Carl Lee's being arrested um, or why he had been arrested. So, yeah, there was a side A and side B to a DVD, and that was my first encounter with that. Well, yeah, that's that's slightly disorienting. That's wild. and it's not, I mean, it's two and a half hours, but there's stuff way longer that they can fit on one side of a DVD. Yeah, I, I had never seen that before, and huh. I'm glad I figured it out because I was I would have probably watched the second half of that movie and not even realized it. But I was like, there has got to there they're jumping into uh, picking a jury, you know? Right. And I'm like, why are they picking a jury? Like, I I have no idea. So yeah, I I realized that uh, there were two sides to the DVD. Huh. Interesting. Uh, for me stood out every time because mike you know you mentioned loving uh donald sutherland i do as well i love his character in this and just when he says when he gives his little speech about you know if you win this case justice will prevail and if you lose this case justice will also prevail that's a strange case um and, and i think it you know it goes to the heart of you know the situation that happens what is justifiable what is acceptable in humanity in a legal system where what lines do we draw um and it it goes in that's a lot of what this movie goes into um and i I just i like the way he delivers it from his you know kind of drunken stupor perspective of like yes i'm six sheets to the wind but i can still see the nuance of what's happening around me so i've always appreciated that um and it's you know one of the things i love most about this movie and the story is them diving into that yeah and i mean without just you know quoting every line from the two scenes that we mentioned i think that that's a a really great uh, again another set of dialogue and um i mean for me the, the line that did stick out and brad referenced it but i'll just highlight it one more time as we wrap up here is when you know Samuel L. Jackson said to McConaughey's character, to Jake Bergance, "You are my secret weapon because you are one of the bad guys." And I do think, you know, he goes on to say, you, "You know, you don't mean to be; you were born into it." But I think the way that he portrays that um, really says a lot about even to this day. You know, sadly, yeah. you know, twenty six years later, uh, we're still having, and we're not comfortable having discussions about built-in bias and implicit bias and you know things of that nature in our society um but it was true then and it's still true now and i think that they did a a great job of highlighting that point through that dialogue yeah i I completely agree and and i think that this movie and i'm sure this novel um did did good work uh bringing up that conversation and and giving people something to either read or watch. So if for whatever reason you listen to this episode and you still haven't seen this movie, if you're just a fan of the podcast, appreciate it, but please go watch this. Um, I do think it is a tough watch. You know, I don't, Mike, I don't know if you've hopped on yet. Like I said, I, I I've never rewatched the first 10 minutes of this movie. since the first time I saw it. Um, and if that's too much for you, that's fine. But the conversations that come up in this movie, the story that they're telling, I think is important. I really do think this is a movie that, 
uh, people should see at least once just so you can, you know, feel what they're really getting at. Um, but that will wrap up our conversation of a time to kill guys as uh, July rolls on uh, next week, uh, a pretty big shift uh, in genre. We are doing Dunkirk, the Christopher Nolan directed uh, World War II film. Uh, so we will get into that next week, but this week was a time to kill. Thank you so much again for all the support and for listening to the show. Other than that, guys, for Mike, for Brad, I'm Ethan, and we'll see you next time.